835, Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. They said it would not last. Mary Kay Latorno. Hondo, do you remember Mary Kay Latorno? She was the married 34-year-old teacher and mother of four back in 1996 who began an affair with her 13-year-old student. That was the infamous Mary Kay Latorno. She ended up leaving her husband um, for the 13-year-old. Which I've always thought, it'd be, see, you can understand from a guy's perspective, you can understand your wife leaving you for another man. Maybe you can understand your wife leaving you for another woman. But she left him for a 13-year-old boy. That's just, that's just weird and strange. Anyhow, they, they got married. She, they, she got pregnant. Um, she served uh, seven years on prison related to on charges related to their sexual relationship. She was <clears throat> released from prison in 2005. He waited for her. They got married. And so, you know, they've, they've been married since 2005 and a couple since 1996 when they, but of course she was away for seven years as a guest of the state of Washington. Um, well, the story today is, gee, that they've, they've separated. They're, they're, they're going to get divorced. Who, who could have figured that out? I'm telling you, when I first heard that they were getting married once she got out of prison, I was convinced that this was a marriage made well, not in heaven, but probably somewhere else. And uh, apparently it uh, has not exactly worked out. Go figure. All right, we have a lot of stuff on today's program. About 9.10, Tunnette Walker, the first lady of the state of Wisconsin. She's very involved with this initiative called Fostering Future. She's going to be in Washington, D.C. this week You know, talking about this. Um, she's going to be coming on the air to discuss it. It is it is extremely, I think it's an important initiative, and I want to give her a chance to explain it to everyone. So we're going to be talking about that. We have a number of things, um, including during the 9 o'clock hour, I think I'm going to confess that my initial reaction to a story, well, I don't want to say I was wrong in my opinion, but I might have been a little bit sure to being right. And I'll, I'll tell you about that, and we're going to discuss it. There's a local... I want to say a racist group, the Milwaukee Black Panthers, and yes, I mean that. They are apparently doing the best imitation of the mafia, extorting goods and services from local businesses. And my question is, where are the cops and where is the district attorney's office? We'll be discussing that as well. But we start off today's show, like we start off every show, a segment I call Three Big Things, thing I think you need to know as you go about your day discussing things at work or at the coffee you know, shop or at the gym or whatever. Big thing number one, and I, you almost you almost don't know where to start with this. Kathy Griffin, who is a self-proclaimed D-list comedian, she does shows in Washington. She pops up. She does a, a New Year's Eve special on CNN every year. She shows up on some of the cable channels doing uh, comedy things. She's in Las Vegas a lot, and she she is a provocateur. She's a she is a comedian. And so you get, I guess, to push the bounds of taste. That being said, I don't think there's any question that she crossed a particular line. Now, we have our WTMJ talk and text line. And a lot of times I will say, if you want to see this image or you want this video, you you can text it. I, I made a decision this morning that this is in such bad taste that I just don't feel comfortable, you know, distributing this if, if you want to see what i'm talking about it's there on the internet you know lots of stories you know have it matter of fact most stories about this have the image that's created all the controversy i just made the decision that i don't want to pass it on so i will describe it but 
It, it's not a, we're not going to we're not going to send it out on the text line. And maybe that's the right decision. Maybe it's the wrong decision. It is just the decision I made. Um, Kathy Griffin, anyhow, this this self-proclaimed D-list comedian sits down for a, a photo shoot um, with a arguably, you know, uh, very controversial photographer. One of the pictures that is taken has Kathy Griffin standing up, holding a it, it's a, a bloody, decapitated head resembling President Donald Trump, and and there's just no other way to describe it other than that. She's standing there, and it looks like from the image that's there, it looks like she has that President Trump has been beheaded blood all over, and she is standing there holding it. It is, by the way, very similar to photos that you have seen in the past from terrorists, ISIS terrorists, who have captured um, Europeans, beheaded them, and taken pictures of themselves standing holding the heads. It is it, it, it's essentially, it's kind of the same picture. Matter of fact, I'm looking at a couple of the pictures now that the ISIS terrorists had held, holding up the heads of you know people who had been beheaded that they had captured. This is Kathy Griffin doing essentially the, the same thing. All right, so she sends this out. The photo becomes public. The backlash is incredible, right? You know, right, right away uh, about this. Um, the Secret Service gets involved. I don't believe that this is a crime. I, I think that she's probably clearly, this is probably protected speech. But the reaction across the aisle, Republicans are outraged. Democrats are outraged. Chelsea Clinton is weighing in, talking about how inappropriate this is. People like Al Franken, you know, left-leaning Al Franken says, hey, I, I think Kathy Griffin's really funny, but this, this kind of crosses the line. After the backlash, she goes on Twitter and, and apologizes, saying, I, I realize I, I crossed the line. I'm, I'm sorry for this, but it's out there. And so now the issue is, where do you go from here? CNN employs her to do a New Year's Eve special every year. They say, well, we're evaluating whether we're going to keep her um, on the air or not. She has a couple you know, sponsors. One is something called Squatty Potty. Squatty Potty, which designs bathroom products, small family business based in Utah. Um, uh, they, they do various campaigns. You know, they say that they're they're pulling out. They're, they're not going to use her anymore. Like I say, CNN is a little bit is silent right now as to what should happen, whether they're going to continue to employ her. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. She did this. She got a ton of attention for it. It was clearly a knowing and intentional act. Once the backlash occurred, she decided that she was going to apologize for this. But this wasn't a spontaneous thing. This was something that was clearly thought out. I don't believe it's a crime. But should there be consequences? I mean, should should CNN continue to employ her and use her as a host on, on the show? You know, what about advertisers? Are there any standards at all nowadays? And if this had been Tim Allen, Conservative Tim Allen, who did the same thing with a bloody head of Barack Obama, would he ever be on television again? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is, Ka- is Kathy Griffin's apology sufficient to make this go away, or should there be greater consequences? Obviously, 
I think there should be greater consequences. We will discuss. What do you think? It's 843. This is big thing. Number one, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Do we have any standards anymore? And I understand that there are people who do not like Donald Trump. I get it. But but does anything go nowadays? And if you do cross the line, is there a line? And if and when you cross the line, do there need to be consequences? Okay, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 843. Jeff Wagner. It's 847, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, big story number one, Kathy Griffin, self-proclaimed D-list comedian, poses for photographs. This is not a spontaneous thing. This isn't something that she says on live television in the heat of a discussion with somebody. She stages a series of photographs. One has her posing, holding a severed, bloody head of what appears to be President Trump. It is an identical pose to ones that the terrorists who captured, you know, people captured Europeans and and beheaded them. It's an identical pose to that. So she's kind of, whether intentionally or not, she's emulating the terrorist pose. These things get sent out. It is only after there is a huge social media backlash to this that she then says, gee, I'm, I'm really sorry that I, I did this. I, it's just, you know, I, I moved the line too far. I'm really sorry. But she, this was a conscious thing that, that she did. It's only after the backlash occurs. Well, already you've got some sponsors that are starting to pull out. She hosts an evening show, a New Year's Eve show on CNN. CNN right now is noncommittal as to whether they're going to continue to use her or not. I just think this is an absolute no-brainer. You know, is this a crime? No, it's not a crime. And, yeah, I guess she gets to be edgy, but at the same time, have we no standards at all anymore? Let's start with Tony in New Berlin. Tony, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Um, I thought a little bit about this, and I think the best way to treat this is uh, we need to act as though she was a conservative comedian and that this president was Barack Obama. And uh, she would she would never if this was again my example was was Tim Allen it, but takes any conservative you can find a conservative in Hollywood if they posed for a photo shoot like this they would be blacklisted they would be blackballed from the industry forever. That's absolutely, and she should be. I'm sorry, this is not edgy. It's disrespectful, and I don't care who the president is. I didn't like Barack Obama, but I would never do that to but, his image. Ever. Well, no, no, I don't agree with this politics. Yeah, no. I mean, thanks for calling. Nobody with any decency would would do that. And so, I mean, CNN is even thinking. I mean, CNN's well, we're going to consider what we're going to do here. Um, Carolyn Anomaly Falls writes, I always liked her, but now rethinking it. Very, very poor taste. I thought she was more intelligent. Um, here's another email that that does raise this terrorist perspective. Anyone's head is 100% wrong. I feel so sorry for those families that lost a loved one to a terrorist in this manner. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Here, we're, we're going to emulate and arguably celebrate the terrorists. Good job, Kathy Griffin. And you know, CNN, you're going to continue to employ this woman. President Trump uh, sends out a tweet. Kathy Griffin should be ashamed of herself. My children, especially my 11-year-old son, Barron, are having a hard time with this sick. Now, you might say, all right, well, you know, we don't like Donald Trump, so anything goes. And you know, he, he brings this on himself. Well, but he also has a family as well. And again, there used to be some sort of standard. Now those standards are gone. And and the reason I'm so harsh on this is, again, this isn't – I understand that sometimes in the heat of, of battle, 
you know, if this was a talking head show, if she's on The View and she's got some dispute going with somebody and she erps out something, oh, okay, I, I understand sometimes people say things in the heat of the battle in the moment and they don't think them through. That's not what this was. This was a staged photo shoot. shoot. She's made up. I mean, she's just she's dressed up. She's holding the, the prop of the severed head. This was an intentional decision that she made. It was not a spontaneous mistake. Now, I don't even know if she's really sorry because I'm sure she's getting a bunch of attention. And my guess is that there's going to be some people who support her and are going to be flocking to see her latest you know, Las Vegas show. But maybe collectively we should have higher standards than that. Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, I think she should be prosecuted. Uh, For the, making a threat against the president? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, the TV shows this morning uh, actually showed a video that someone took of the photo shoot. And during the course of that video, you can hear her saying, we're all going to have to go to Mexico uh, because we're going to be in prison, in a federal prison, for doing this. Oh. <laughs> which to me clearly shows that she knew right. uh, <laughs> criminal intent is there. Whether or not they get a conviction, I mean, you got to stop this type of, of threat. Yeah, I guess I. I mean, thanks. For, I mean, I, I guess I, I understand, and it, it's it is of course you know illegal to make threats against the president. Remember, remember the uproar when Ted Nugent, you know, said a couple hostile things about Barack Obama, and yet everybody on the left that was called he needs to be in jail and that type of stuff. And Ted Nugent wasn't holding a severed head of Barack Obama. Still, I, in in my opinion, this. This this would be a very, very difficult prosecution. I, I think that um, you'd have a very strong argument that this is protected speech. But as I always say on this program, just because you might have a right to do something doesn't mean that it is the right thing to do and doesn't mean that it should be tolerant, tolerated and countenanced by hopefully civilized people on either side of the aisle. Dan in Wales. Dan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. So when you listen to her apology, it's total—it's a total farce. She's not apologizing to the president for completely disrespecting the office. Yeah. She's just apologizing to all the other Democrats watching CNN, and she isn't even apologizing. I mean, it's—it's it's, it's totally. I'm a crazy. comic. I crossed the line. I moved the right. line. Then I crossed it. I went way too far. Yeah. yeah. Ask, asking for asking for forgiveness, basically, but. Um, it, she needs to apologize to the president directly for completely disrespecting him, his family, and the office of the presidency. Um, yeah, well, I, right. And, and, I mean, thanks for and, – and arguably – I mean, pe- politicians are people, too. I mean, I, again, I, I understand that, that Donald Trump brings out the worst in some people and folks feel that they're justified in doing anything that they possibly can. And I understand that particularly among the, le- on the, among the left in the last several months that the, the idea of civility has completely gone out the window. But at some point in time, don't you have to say that, there's, that there are, are some standards um, here? Let's talk to Steve in Wauwatosa. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Steve. You know, I, was, I was mentioning it to, to your screener. Long before Anderson Cooper came out with his sexuality, this woman was very clear that they were best pals from a very early age with Gloria Vanderbilt being Anderson Cooper's mother. Her, her apology here rings completely disingenuous. And 
it's not a matter of a comedy act like you pointed out. What about the people that took all the time to stage this photograph? Yeah. What about the photographers? What about the people that were involved in picking out the posturing and the message in the photograph? Right. At what point did not one of these people say, gee, if we replace this head with Barack Obama's or the head of a dog, what yeah. would be the backlash of this if uh, we chose to display Right. This kind of behavior with the head of a of a dog, right. or President of Barack right. Obama, yeah. and nobody thought of it. Right. right? It was just like, okay, this this is this is going to be clever. This is going to be edgy. We're going to get all sorts of attention. No, you're thanks for going. You're right. Now, I, I mean, I wonder. Will now Anderson Cooper has come out with a tweet saying that he's disgusted by this. Um, we, we'll we'll see. And I guess part of it, it part of it depends. On you know, is there going to be blowback? I, I Bill O'Reilly is off the air because there was blowback after the sexual assault of the sexual harassment allegations. Harassment allegations. Um, I you know, will there will there be blowback? Is CNN hearing from people? Are the sponsors hearing from people? Or are you going to take this lame butt apology that she's issued? And say, oh, that's just it. And and my, I mean, and I don't know, but my guess is that you're going to have a lot of people. They're going to say, that's right. That that Kathy, she's just expressing her First Amendment, and we we don't like that Donald Trump either. You know. How can you just I mean, I seriously wonder whether part of this was a publicity stunt. Ted in Milwaukee. Ted, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. I remember a couple of years back when uh, there was a rodeo, I believe, out in Colorado yep. somewhere. Yep. And the rodeo clown wore an Obama mask. Yep. And they completely chastised him and fired, fired him. him. Absolutely, that, that's right. Yeah, and that wasn't a bloody mask. That was a just, hey, you're you're mocking the president in this fashion. You've crossed the line. Exactly. If you're going to fire the rodeo clown, what do you do to this TV clown who decides to do what she ended up doing? Now, thanks. I agree. No, it's 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 going to be a challenge, and it's going to be it's going to going to depend on on how the what the response is, and if it's just oh another day, and it's Donald Trump, and it's no big deal. Well, then you're going to see more and more of these D-list comedians emboldened to do stuff like this. Again, my my point is reverse the situation. Reverse the situation. If you don't think the example with uh, Tim Allen holding a head of Barack Obama is correct, all right, Tim Allen holding a bloody head of Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton or you know any, Joe Biden or let's even take the race element out of it, the reaction would still be the same. That person would never, never work in Hollywood again. It's 8.57. This is Jeff Wagner. Coming up in just a couple minutes, we interrupt our three big things because we're going to be joined by Tanette Walker, the uh, First Lady of the State of Wisconsin. And coming up after that, Ed Flynn talking about tougher penalties for crime. And the Seventh Circuit says you've got a constitutional right to use whatever bathroom you want. Stick around. It's 909, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Can we just stipulate? And I understand it's tough to get agreement on anything nowadays between the left and the right, but can we just stipulate that there are monsters in this world and that those monsters need to be dealt with? You had the story last week of the monster who decided to wait outside the concert as the teenage girls were leaving the show in Manchester, England, and set off a bomb, killing himself and killing a large number of people and maiming even more. The, the, 
The people that do this are are monsters, and the people that conspired with him are monsters. And the terrorist groups that decide to do things like this and take credit for it and brag and dance in the streets about this when it happens, they are, in fact, monsters. We have monsters that live among us. And this idea that you can reason with the monsters, that you can pretend that okay, maybe we can rehabilitate the monsters, that you pretend that, okay, maybe we can negotiate with the monsters. No, I'm sorry. If you do things like this, if you are willing to kill small children to advance whatever pathetic cause you think you have, you are a monster and you need to be dealt with. You have another example of monstrous behavior today. At least 80 people, and and, and maybe we just get immune to this type of stuff because we hear it so very much, but... Um, at Kabul, Afghanistan. Um, Kabul is the capital. Um, what happened was yesterday at evening rush hour, um, 80 people killed, hundreds of people wounded when a massive explosion rocked the area near the presidential palace. Again, what apparently happened is uh, most of the people hurt were civilians, including women and children. ISIS once again making this claim. These people are monsters. They just are. You cannot reason with monsters. You need to deal with this. Over, I, I, have a, I had a friend who used to be a juvenile court judge in Milwaukee County. And we, we would talk about the challenges that, that they faced. And I understand I talk about it from a criminal justice perspective and ask these various questions about, okay, after somebody's been convicted over and over and over and again about crimes, why why aren't they incarcerated? Why don't we protect people? And, and he appreciated that. He said there is another side to this story, and I'm not justifying the behavior. But he says, Jeff, you would not believe the, the, the background that some of these children come from. He said, it's just a horror show. Anybody who grew up with a lower middle class or a middle class or an upper middle class or an upper class background, you cannot believe some of the things that these children experience or that these people experience as kids. He said, I'm not justifying it. I'm not defending it. But I just I explain why sometimes, you know, people when they get into their their teenage years or whatever, just behave in such antisocial fashions, it's because of their upbringing. We're now joined by Tanette Walker, the first lady of the state of Wisconsin, who's been very, very active in something called Fostering Futures. Tanette, good morning. Good morning. Hi, how are you? I am well, thank you. Let's talk a little bit about this initiative and what you've been hoping to accomplish. I know this has been something near and dear to your heart for a number of years. Yes. Um, in 2011, when Scott was elected governor, I went to new governor's uh, first lady school, and they talked to us about initiatives and really said that we need to pick something we're going to love so that we can maybe make a difference. Um, so I um, met with a friend of mine who talked to me about ACEs, and ACEs are Adverse Childhood Experiences, and it's really about um, children and families who live in toxic stress and their brain development and we started, uh, I brought 12 different community um, leaders together, uh, and we, uh, Democrats and Republicans, didn't matter to me, who, uh, as long as they were, wanted to change the lives of children and families. And so uh, we started fostering teachers, and we've been working on ACEs and trauma-informed care since then. So it's been a, a, a really rewarding and learning experience for me. Now, Tanette, when, when you talk about toxic stress, what, what exactly does that mean? What sort of things are you referring to? 
Yeah, um, so ACEs, there are 10 different ACEs, and there's more. That's just the kind of the most prevalent ones. Um, there, um, if your, your parent is incarcerated, uh, divorce, if there's drugs in the home, if there's abuse in the home. So um, we know that children who live in toxic stress each and every day, the brain develop, doesn't develop the same way, so they can't learn the same. Their outcomes in life are not the same. They may not be able to hold on a job or they... Um, they're, actually, their lifespan is really reduced by almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. So um, we're trying to, we know that we can't change the brain development, but we can change the way um, we, we give them hope with trauma-informed care, and there are ways that you can recognize your triggers. There are ways you can um, kind of um, teach people resiliency so mm-hmm. that they can go on to have a good life and not pass it down to their children right. is the number one key here. So this is really, it's directed at, at essentially the children who are going through these these experiences. I, I was looking at, at some of the information. A lot of these, a lot of the kids are sexually abused, for example. That would be one of the, that would yep. be one of the toxic stresses. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we don't, fo- we, you know, we started in 2011 thinking we could just focus with children. What we realized we needed to focus on children and families, and because we know that parents, their parents had taught it, pass it down to them, they're teaching it, passing it down to their children. So we knew we had to, it's the whole family that we hope to treat. So, um, but my really the big thing, this has been going on for about 10 years. My thing that I focus on is system changes. So we want to change the way people do business. Um, all the way from the CEO to the person that, you know, um, in a school that's the a school administrator or the lunch lady or the bus driver. So we want to ask the question, it's not what's wrong with you, but what's happened to you. Mm-hmm. And so a kid in the classroom's acting up over and over again, teachers passing them out to the hallway, sending to, you know, into the principal's office. That doesn't help the child. But if you ask, you know, hey, what's going on? What happened last night? And he, you know, hey, my mom, you know, my dad came home, he was drunk, they were fighting all night, whatever it may be. We want to say, okay, we get it. You know, today, we're going to give you a pass. And it doesn't mean there aren't consequences. You know, we believe in that. We believe that we have to, you know, there has to be consequences. But we can have empathy, we can change the way we look at someone. Um, And and it's not just with children and families, like I said. Um, Actually, God is really involved in... He picked seven state agencies to be um, trained in trauma-informed care in a two-year pilot program. And -hmm. and that's holding up the mirror to your own department and saying, are we trauma-informed? Do we treat each other? Do we have HR practices that are trauma-informed? And uh, it's been been really um, wonderful to see the transformation. Um, and, and, and of course, the the, the the idea. This is sort of an early intervention thing, and your hope is to try to identify this and deal with this before the antisocial behavior gets to a point where it gets into the criminal justice system. And you got the the kid that's going out and carjacking. It's try to intervene and figure out why and get them help before they they go down this path that's very difficult to turn back from. Yeah, and and I. I caution to use the word intervention because we're not an intervention we're um really talking about changing the whole system Mm -hmm. and um and there are lots of good work with trauma-informed care being done with therapies and and um you know in children in the department of children and families we're more trying to get to the administrator of the school and and saying look 
this will help children kind of regulate themselves. You know, a child coming to school after he's witnessed something traumatic or living with toxic stress each and every day, um, it's hard for them to regulate themselves. And so, you know, it might be causing trouble. And then, you know, they one thing leads to another. And you're right. We, we hope to catch them early and we hope to change their outcome. But, you know, we can even, I, I've seen adults who realize that they have ACEs when they take the, there's a little ACE quiz you can kind of take and oh my gosh I've come up and I've got three aces or I've got four aces that's why this triggers me it's kind of like at any age realizing that it's not what's wrong with you it's what happened to you right and an ace of course is what you call an adverse childhood experience um yeah okay you are you you're are you on your way to Washington you're in Washington to talk about I'm you're going Washington. to Washington okay no I'm, I'm here now okay um yesterday we um, we met with the Department of Labor and Education, and we met with Congressman Duffy and um, Congressman Gallagher. To, we'd like to start a caucus, a trauma-informed caucus, and so we've got some really good um, feedback from um, Congressman, um, the Congressman, and so we hope to get that started. We um, met with the Department of Justice and Education, to, to met with leadership to say, look, we, it starts from the top down, and that's what, like I said, what we're all about, systems change. They have a lot of good work on trauma-informed care being done in all of the departments. So it's um, it's been just a partnership. And what we're telling them is Wisconsin is ahead of the game. Wisconsin is um, on track to be the uh, one state to be trauma, the whole state to be trauma-informed. So that's our goal in Wisconsin. We talk to everybody, groups, small groups, large groups. Um, you know, we we don't care who we talk to right. as long as they find out about ACEs and trauma-informed care. And what, we, <clears throat> what we've what we done, Tanette, to try to, to help promote this is on, on our website, as part of my list of my show rundown stuff, I, I have a, a link to not only our interview, but also to um, the, the Fostering Futures um, website that has all these different, you know, it explains exactly th- these various things and has ways for people to sign up and figure out how they can help out in these things. Um, so hopefully we, we want to promote awareness and we want to encourage people to at least give this some thought and if they can get involved, to get involved. Great. Thank you so much for doing that for us. Appreciate Absolutely. It. Thanks for joining us this morning. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Sure. That's uh, Tanette Walker, the First Lady of uh, the State of Wisconsin, who's been very active in this initiative. And, um, again, if you go to WTMJ.com, um, on, on my show page, we, we have every day they put up the show rundown and various things that I hope to talk about. And we, we have a link to not only this interview, but also a, a link to their, their website, their Fostering Futures. And, see, and this is, th- this is something which it really kind of caught my attention because – I, I admit I come at things from a criminal justice perspective, and I, I don't claim to be smart enough to know, you know, how you stop the the people from becoming you know criminals. My reaction is once you get to a certain point and you start committing crimes, at that point in time, you you just have to be removed from society to protect us. But if you can stop that in the first place. Well, I, I'm all in favor of it, and I mean, this whole initiative talks about the various obvious things that you know your your environment affects your decisions, and it's actually kind of staggering to see the number of people who go through these you know advert these aces adverse childhood experiences. So check it out, and uh, the governor uh, Governor Walker's wife, Tanette Walker, the first lady of the state of Wisconsin, doing excellent work. Coming up next. 
Big thing number two, Ed Flynn wants tougher penalties for crimes. I have some thoughts, and we'll get yours as well. Stick around. It's 921. WTMJ have a text about what we just talked about with Governor with Mrs. Walker. Uh, tough topic. We have two children that joined our family about four years ago. They are still fighting every day to break the destructive habits of their early years. Every day is a struggle um, for our family. People just don't understand how hurt these kids really are. Um, yeah, that's why I think this Fostering Futures Initiative is so important. Try to figure out the, the, the backgrounds, like I say, the environments that some people grow up in is just you, you cannot you can't believe it. You just can't believe it. It explains why people go on to engage in antisocial behavior. It doesn't justify it. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't come down hard on it. It is just an explanation. Um, big thing number two, Ed Flynn once again calling for harsher, pen- harsher penalties for criminals who are caught with firearms. Memorial Day was extremely bloody. Four people killed. Um, another 15 people injured, injured in 15 separate shooting incidents since early last Saturday morning. Uh, Chief Flynn says the suspects taken into custody in connection with the homicides have all been arrested before. It's not just the suspects that have arrest records. He said, now look at this. When you look at the total number of suspects and victims in the 15 incidents, 15 shooting incidents, there are 150 arrests among the group. Okay, 15 shooting incidents. Now that includes the, that includes the perpetrators and the victims. 150 arrests among the group. I don't know how many convictions there were. I don't know how many plea bargains there were. I don't know how many of the well we're not going to prosecute there were, but but this is, is staggering. And, and Flynn says that the issue isn't catching these people. It's deterring them from continuing to be involved in criminal activity. Well, yeah, it, it is. And so he's, he's calling for tougher laws. And I want to be real clear here. I don't oppose that. I, if I were king and if people in the legislature are listening, that mandatory minimum penalties is the way to go. You've got some judges that just don't like to lock up people. They want to give people second, and third, and fourth chances. The way to do it is what we did in the federal system years ago, mandatory minimum penalties. You carry a gun. You use a gun on top of whatever the underlying crime is. You get five years in prison on top of that. You send a message that we are not going to tolerate this anymore. Mandatory penalties for felon in possession of firearms. Yes, it might need mean that we need to uh, build more prison cells. And yes, it might mean that we're going to be incarcerating more of this type of person or that type of person. But at some point in time, you have to take back the streets. Now, here, here's where I guess I disagree with, with the chief. When, when he calls for harsher penalties, we have harsh penalties now. The problem is you have judges that will not enforce them. You have district attorneys that look for ways to dump cases. You have a no-snitching culture in certain parts of the city, which even if you can get a district attorney to want to prosecute a case, the no-snitching culture makes it difficult to try to get witnesses to testify. And as a result, you have... People dead and, you know, more than a dozen wounded in a series of shootings by folks that have over 150 arrests. So you can talk about tougher penalties all you want, and I'm not opposed to them. But the truth of the matter is there's plenty of tough penalties now. 
the overriding question that the chief should be asking is why the hell are these 100 are these you know various people why with 150 arrests collectively you know why aren't more of them in jail why haven't been more of them been sent to jail for longer periods of time because if you toughen the penalties i guess without mandatory minimums it's going to be the same old same old because obviously our criminal justice system particularly in milwaukee county is really really broken down so the chief is right to an extent that he'd like harsher penalties i don't have a problem with that but but he's wrong to the extent that he thinks that that's going to be the solution because you've got harsh penalties now and you've got judges who don't enforce them. I can imagine how frustrating it is to be a cop. You arrest people over and over and over again and you see the same group of criminals back out on the streets. When will the court system wake up? And obviously, since the court system doesn't appear to do it, what you have to do is have mandatory minimum penalties to take the discretion out of the hands of the judges. It's 928. This is Jeff Wagner. Big thing number three is coming up. Nine thirty-six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. We let you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is the Main Mill in Menominee Falls, featuring homemade barbecue, tasty steaks, and a variety of signature dishes. You can enjoy them all on the Main Mill's elevated deck dining experience. How's that for alliteration? This Friday at noon, right after my program ends, you have an opportunity to get a fifty-dollar gift certificate for only twenty-five bucks. It's like stealing, but it's legal. These go quickly. We only have one hundred available. Get yours this Friday, starting at noon, by heading to WTMJSupperClub.com. There's actually a link off of our main page as well. All right, big story number three. All right, the battle over what bathroom you have to use continues. Uh, the, The story yesterday, Federal Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, which is Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana, became the first appellate court in the nation to essentially say that the child gets to choose what bathroom they choose to use regardless of school policy. Here's the story. It involves a a child who is now a senior at uh, Kenosha Kenosha, um, Tremper High School, I believe. It's where they are. It's out of Kenosha. Um, Kenosha Unified School District is where the lawsuit is. Yeah, Kenosha Tremper. The child is now a senior. The child was born a girl biologically born a girl according to the case what happened is when the child was in eighth grade um she at the time announced that she was transgender and identified as a male um birth certificate designates him as female he does not identify as one. Like I say, spring of 2013, when he was in eighth grade, he told his parents that regardless of the fact that the female genitalia, he considers him transgender and a boy. He began to openly identify as a boy during the 2013-14 school year when he entered Tremper as a freshman. He cut his hair, began to wear more masculine clothing, and began to use the name Ashton and male pronouns. In the fall of 2014, beginning his sophomore year, he told his teachers and classmates that he is a boy. He asked that they refer to him as Ashton or Ash and to use male pronouns. Um, He goes to see a, a therapist who identifies him with gender dysphoria, which is 
an incongruence between your biological gender and your expressed gender. Um, and he says, okay, I, I want to I, I want to be treated a, as a boy, and I, I want to use the boys' restroom while at school and at school-sponsored events. The school's response is that, no, we, we will accommodate you, but we also think that the boys, the, the biological boys, should have some privacy rights as well. So we do not want you to use the boys' restroom. Um, you can use the girls' restroom, or you can use a gender-neutral restroom um, in the school's main office. Um, he says, nope, that, that's, not, that's not sufficient because I, because I have come out, I've publicly transitioned. I don't think it's, it's right for me to have to go into the girls' restroom. Also, he argues that, you know, this, by, by making me use this gender-neutral restroom, it's calling more attention to my transition and my status. School says, nope, I'm sorry, this is our, this is our policy. So the matter goes to federal court here. Federal judge says, no, there, there is a constitutional right on the part of the student to essentially use the bathroom of now his choice and that the privacy rights of any of the other biological males, that's not an issue. All right, don't worry. They don't, any concerns they might have are outweighed by this student who now identifies as a boy. Yesterday, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed this ruling, becoming the first court of appeals in the country to now acknowledge essentially a constitutional right for a student to use whatever bathroom they choose based on their identification. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I know we've talked about this before, but I have to believe our founding fathers are spinning around in, in their graves. I, I, I think... Look, to me, the simple solution to all of this has always been the gender-neutral restroom things. You know, if you're in a situation where because of your gender identification, you're uncomfortable, this case using the girls' restroom, okay, then then the simple answer is use the gender-neutral restroom. Because candidly, I think most people, most teenagers, most adults would jump at the chance to essentially have their own bathroom. That that would be my my argument here. I do think that's how you balance this out. I have to tell you, though, I have significant questions about whether this is a constitutional right or not. And that's what this is being touted. Look, if the school decided that as a matter of policy, they don't care and it's not a big deal, I think the school is within this. But now this is a federal court saying it is a constitutional right. And I wonder where does this, where do we now draw the line? So if you are, now this is a school setting, but um, can shopping mall operators, for example, say male or female, and you can, you know, if you're the guy, you can go into now the women's bathrooms because, again, that's protected. I just, is this really a constitutional right? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. With all due respect, I think the court is wrong. I just think the court is wrong, and I think they grossly 
grossly misrepresent the privacy rights and ignore the privacy rights of the other gender. Now, my understanding is this applies to bathrooms. I don't know if it applies to locker rooms as well. Locker rooms are even a bigger issue because, candidly, as I have said before, I think I don't care what the 15-year-old child who has boy body parts who identifies as a girl, I think there is a privacy right for a 12 or 13-year-old girl who's changing clothes in the locker room to not necessarily, I understand why that child could be uncomfortable if you've got a 15-year-old biological boy next to them with boy parts. Don't those kids have any rights? Tim in South Milwaukee. Tim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, uh, I understand all these concerns about this. My question would be what would happen, like, at Miller Park? You know, I, I've been at Miller Park where it's really crowded and women try to sneak into men's bathroom, and the police escort them out. Yep. So is this opening up the door to letting anybody use any bathroom anywhere? Well, I think that's an interesting question. Um, clearly, this sets a precedent. Now, the precedent is public schools, but the court based its decision on, on Title on Title Nine and also on the Constitution. So, I mean, I, I I don't know, but that's a very real question. Is this essentially saying that we now no longer, in public places, we, you know, operators can no longer designate male or female locker, or, you know, um, bathrooms? Yeah, that's, and I don't know the answer to that question, Tim, but yeah, um, I, I think it sets a very, very scary precedent, potentially. Yeah, yeah no, th- I agree. No, thanks for calling. And, and, and see, and beyond that, again, I, you know, the bathrooms... I think the school, I don't think there's a constitutional right to this. That's number one. I think the school should have the right to set their policies. That's number two. And I, I wonder, I mean, bathrooms to me, like I said, are a little bit different than locker rooms, but it seems to me that the courts are going to apply the same rationale. And I think that's, I think that's ridiculous. Um, you know, it, it's one thing if you have completed the transition, but if you got boys' body parts, for example, and you're a 15 year old boy, I, physiologically, regardless of how you identify, I don't think you necessarily need to be in a group shower with 12 or 13-year-old girls, uh, biological girls. I just, to me, the answer for the small percentage of students who deal with this is, again, some sort of separate facility. Um, That's the issue here. I don't know where we go with this, but this is a very, very significant decision that came out yesterday. And I understand that people are perhaps... Your eyes roll over this because oh gosh, are we we back? Are we back with this issue again? But this is the first court that has now said there is a constitutional right to use the bathroom of essentially your choice, and it does make me wonder. All right, what is the standard going to be now? Now, in this particular case, there's no question in my mind that the the biological girl you know, really is, you know, transitioning this. But well, what happens? What happens if a bunch of people come in, you know, who aren't necessarily as sincere and they say, hey, we want to use the girls' locker room? Can the school now say no? Are there different standards? Uh, Again, a constitutional right. I'm sorry, this isn't transgender phobic. It's I just don't think the Constitution says that you have the right to use the bathroom of your choice. And I think the court makes a big mistake in saying, all right, uh, biological boys, biological girls, you have no privacy rights at all, essentially. It's 946. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
It's 9.50, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The WTMJ Classic Free Ride is out of our garage, and it's ready to head into yours. You can register online to win the 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible by heading to our website, WTMJ.com, sponsored by Prescient Financial Solutions with Northwestern Mutual. And don't forget to text the word RIDE to 414-799-1620 to check out a photo gallery of what could be your next car. Hey, while you're at the website, uh, a lot of good stuff on there in including if you look at, um, you, you can download our podcast. And a matter of fact, lots and lots of people do that. We've got a whole podcast page that's up there under mobile applications. And no, lots of people uh, time shift and can't listen to all three and a half hours of the program because you have to do life from time to time. But you can go back and you can download it and listen to it at your convenience. Our text line has exploded on what we were just talking about, our big thing number three, the, um, um, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. First court of appeals in the country to rule that essentially, um, at least in a public school setting, students have the right to use whichever bathroom they choose and that schools can't limit by gender. So let's see. Here's some of our texts. So my son's privacy in the bathroom is now infringed upon because of this girl in capital letters. Well, she's biologically a girl. She says that she's actually a boy. Can my normal son use the private bathroom then? That's an interesting. See, that's the, that's the point with me. If you gave me an opportunity to use a private restroom when I was a kid, I'd, I'd say absolutely. You I mean I don't have to go with anybody else? Let's see. Um, Mitch in Sturgeon Bay says, um, Jeff, gender-neutral bathrooms violate your constitutional right to prove your point and draw attention to yourself. Yeah, there's um, that. Um, Justin writes, unfortunately, the U.S. courts have apparently reached the conclusion that the needs of the few, or often the only one, exceed the rights of the many. It's sad. And then Ezra in Watertown does kind of raise what is ultimately the, the bottom line of this. Why would you want to use the boys' restaurant restroom anyways? Boys' bathrooms are disgusting. If I were born a girl and changed my gender identity, I would still want to use the girls' restroom. Well, they're probably, I don't have a frame of reference when it comes to, you know, the, the girls' restrooms. But, but, yeah, I do think there's probably, um, <laughs> there is probably something to that. Um, when I was at Nicolet, this, this was a different time. I have told this story before. They allowed you to smoke on camp. This is, Hondo is looking at me. Honest to gosh. Okay, so I'm at Nicolet, 71 to 75. They had smoking lounges. It was, it was okay if you were 16 years or older and you had your parents' permission. They had designated areas where the kids could smoke. I mean, you want to talk about just like a sea change and stuff. They, you used to be able to smoke at school. And, I, I, okay, I, I've, I, I, I never really, I just never smoked. But they had courtyards that were set aside where the kids could go and smoke. They also, some of the designated smoking areas were bathrooms. Hand in the air. This is an honest-to-goodness true story. One of the designated, quote-unquote, smoking lounges was the lower, I want to say it's the lower F-wing boys' bathroom. So you, you walk in the bathroom to do your business. And I'm, I'm not making this up. There would be these kids sitting cross-legged on the floor, eating their lunches, their bag lunches, and having a cigarette. Now, I, I acknowledge this is 1972 or 1973, but I, I, I acknowledge that I, I remember sitting there thinking, I hope I never, ever need a cigarette so badly that I got to sit on the floor of a boy's bathroom and eat my lunch off the floor. <laughs> and... I know 
if you are of a certain age, you are listening to me saying this man is making this story up, I swear, I swear, that is true. They had smoking lounges. You were allowed to smoke on campus, not in the classrooms, but like during the breaks or your lunch hour or whatever. You could go to designated areas if you were older than 16, and you could smoke cigarettes. <laughs> that's that's how they, they did things back in the 70s, and you could eat your lunch off the floor of the boys' bathroom while you were having your cigarette. Oh, the times have changed. All right, coming up in a few minutes, there's an issue that we've talked about before on this program, and I have come to believe that my initial reaction, if not wrong, might have been a little short of right. And I'm going to share that story with you, and we are going to discuss. And then later on, the mafia, well, it's not the mafia, But it's a group that would put the mafia to shame, is operating what seems to me to be an extortion ring in the inner city of Milwaukee. And I'm wondering why authorities are tolerating it. It's all coming up. Right now, let's take a quick break. It's 9.55. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 9.58, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jay Matner, I swear that is a true story. Nicolay High School, mid-1973 or whatever, they, if 16 years or older, they let you smoke cigarettes. If you had your parents' permission, they had designated areas like courtyards, and there were various boys' and girls' bathrooms that were set aside for people to smoke. Different time. <laughs> it was, it was a different. And, and like I said, it, it's an honest-to-God true story. I'd walk in, there'd be people eating their bag lunches oh. off the floors of the bathroom. <laughs> you know, it just, it was, I just, that, that, that sums it all up. Completely and totally different times. And, and yeah, I think, I think at Nicolet back then, they were just glad that people were smoking tobacco, not smoking something else back then. But it was, it was uh, different times. Hey, Paul Ryan, he's got to be uh, shaking in his boots. Here's the story. A Democratic political activist from Ohio has moved to Wisconsin to run against Paul Ryan. Ryan got 65% of the vote in his district uh, last time. Um, The guy's name is David Yankovich. He's going to run against Paul Ryan. He's moving, no ties to Wisconsin at all. He calls himself one of the original voices of the resistance against Paul Ryan and Donald Trump. He is moving to Kenosha, and he's going to spend the next year and a half meeting and learning from people in Wisconsin. What does it say that... It's not just carpetbaggers who are coming in to protest Paul Ryan. Now we've got carpetbaggers moving to run against Janesville native Paul Ryan. Um, good luck with that, Don Quixote. It's 10.09. This is Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. Okay. It's very... I'm not going to say I was necessarily wrong, but I have come to believe that my position on this particular issue might have been a little bit short of of being right. And I want to discuss this with you. Um, Last, let me see. Yeah, it was last February. um, Governor Walker announced that as part of his overall budget proposal, what he wanted to do is eliminate this magazine that gets published by the De- Wisconsin uh, Department of Natural Resources. Um, the magazine has been around for a long time. It's called Wisconsin Natural Resources. And it you, you get it 
the cost of the subscription is like eight dollars and ninety five cents if you get as part of like one of your um, you know various you know conservation licenses um, that that you have to to buy. Um, it's part of like multiple fish and game licenses and things like that. Now, the the point that the governor was making is that first of all, doesn't believe that the the state should be in the business of producing these magazines and competing with the other outdoor magazines that are out there. Um, also, there is some time that is spent by DNR employees in helping put this thing to- together. But as a general rule, that's very, very little. The magazine is pretty much self-supporting. Um, the, the subscriptions that people have you know, pay for the magazine, so there is very, very little cost that is involved with this. The price of a one-year subscription alone is $8.95. Well, after when this was first announced, I, I said, look, I, I understand that this isn't necessarily a revenue thing, but, but I understand, you know, why, why does the DNR, why is the state in the business of competing with these private magazines and things like, like that that are out there? And I heard from a number of people who said, hey, we, we really, we enjoy this magazine. We look forward to getting it, you know, when it ends up coming out. One of the things that was interesting is that after it was announced that this Department of Natural Resources magazine was going to go by the wayside, um, apparently um, about 2,300 people decided that they wanted, they wanted to subscribe to this. Um, the magazine currently has about 82,000 subscribers, um, and you know people are renewing their subscriptions. And so there's this huge push. People say, hey, we, we end up... We, we like this. Well, the state legislature, the budget committee, is going to be voting on whether you, you discontinue this magazine or not. I think that vote might come, um, as a matter of fact, today. But there's a new report out from, again, the um, Legislative Fiscal Bureau, which tries to evaluate the cost of things. And what they're saying is that to discontinue this magazine would cost the taxpayers seven hundred and seventy eight thousand dollars to eliminate this bi-monthly magazine now you might say okay why why would this you know be the case well because that's that's money that would have to number one be refunded and number two um that's cost that would be associated with like notifying people that the thing was gone and all that now to tell you the truth three quarters of a million dollars seems extremely high to me extremely high to me and some of the people that are i so i'm having trouble believing it's actually that much money but you do have a self-supporting magazine that tens of thousands of wisconsinites seem to like and as near as i can tell even though what they put in the magazine might be somewhat duplicative of stuff that's out there, you know, in other outdoor magazines. It doesn't appear that the other publishers are saying, hey, we, we don't want this competition. So when this originally came out, I was sitting there and I, I acknowledge I was saying, well, why, why, is the, why is the DNR in this business? But the more I think about this, given the fact that I know that there are tens of thousands of people who really enjoy this magazine, who want to continue getting it, and despite the fact that this isn't really a tourism type of thing, but it does have some tourism effects, I guess my thinking is, 
you know, do we really need to get rid of it? And maybe this is an example where if it's going to cost the taxpayers, whether it's a quarter million or a half a million or three quarters of a million dollars to get rid of a publication that 80-some thousand people subscribe to, that obviously they like it and that really is self-sufficient and doesn't cost the taxpayers any money, doesn't it at this point make more sense just to keep it? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. When we have heard, talked about this before, I have heard from many people who absolutely love this Natural Resources magazine and would hate to see it go. All right. The Legislative Joint Finance Committee is continue, considering this today. If, if it will actually cost more money to make it go away than to keep it, I'm coming to the conclusion that it probably makes more sense to keep it, at least for the time being. If subscriptions drop off and that dynamic changes, well, maybe that's uh, maybe that's a different story. Should we continue to publish, we being the state of Wisconsin, should we continue to publish um, this Department of Natural Resources magazine bi-monthly? 414-799-1620. And if you are a subscriber, I would be particularly interested in your opinion. I'm kind of coming to the conclusion that, if it costs more to get rid of it than to keep it, maybe we should just keep it. It's 1015. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1017. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Game 3 of the Brewers and Mets from City Field in New York. Catch Bob and Jeff with the pregame show beginning at 535 this evening, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. All right, we all get to play general manager with Ryan Braun out. Um, the, the Brewers, in my opinion, need to call up one of these hot shots that they have down in AAA who is, like, tearing up the league, need to put them out in left field. They need some more offense. And um, there's there's the one guy that they got from Tampa Bay who just is awful. And um, I understand he's versatile, but he's a versatile awful. What's his name? Franklin. I'd ship him out and bring up somebody that can hit and play left field at least for a couple weeks because um, who knows what's going to happen with Braun, and they desperately need at least one more hitter out there. Um, That would be, if I were king, that's what I would do because they're still in first place, but they're, what, only two games above five hundred. There's an opportunity here, um, but, you know, they're they're struggling now, and they need need to replace Ryan Braun, and the guys they got do not replace Ryan Braun. That's just... If I was the general manager, that's what I'd say. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The Legislative Finance, Joint Finance Committee is going to be deciding today whether to go along with Governor Walker's plan to kill this um, Wisconsin DNR Natural Resources magazine. It's been around for decades. It is self-sufficient. It pays for itself. Um, there, there's, I guess, a little bit of staff time um, from employees which are used to kind of put the thing together, but that's really that's really de minimis. The new report that's come out today says that to cancel the thing would cost upwards of three quarters of a million dollars. That's refunds of people who paid for subscriptions, um, plus notifications and things like that. That number strikes me as being high, but but regardless, there, there's going to be a cost of several hundred thousand dollars. Interestingly, since they announced in February that the governor was thinking about canceling this, um, that they've gotten they've gotten all sorts of renewals and they've got thousands of new subscribers as well, which tells me that that people want it. So I guess I'm 
I'm looking at this, and I'm trying to be pragmatic about it, and I understand the argument. I, I really do. That, okay, should the governor, should the should the government be in the business of putting out these magazines? And, and I understand shorthand would be probably no, but there is an element of tourism to this because they highlight state parks or things like that. Um, it doesn't cost money to do this. It's at least it doesn't. It's a net gain, or at least a revenue neutral thing. It's going to cost a boatload of money to get rid of it, and eighty some thousand people apparently want it. Um, Nathan sends us a text. Jeff, I had a subscription years ago, and I let it go after hearing about this story. When you brought it up last time, I went out and subscribed again. I forgot how much I enjoyed the magazine. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. If it's going to cost more to get rid of it than to keep it, I guess. I say, why don't we keep it? Ron in Sun Prairie. Ron, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for, excuse me, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was past deputy, excuse me, past deputy secretary of the DNR. Okay. And we always considered the magazine as a learning tool. Part of our, our core mission is education, educating the public. And we've got much feedback over the years on the value of that magazine. And just to drop it now just seems totally wrong. It is part of our responsibility as DNR members and as stewards of uh, of our earth, and uh, the magazine helps to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, it also has the. It also helps to. Pr- I mean, I understand it doesn't exist as a tourism document per se, but it, it helps. It does help to highlight, you know, Wisconsin resources, and certainly it seems to me it plays a tourism function as well. Well, it it adds to the tourism. Tourism sure. is a vital a vital part of our of the whole state of Wisconsin's uh, mission, I think, and especially the DNR. And the, the magazine just adds to that tremendously in, in, in many of our opinions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I look at this, and I mean, I, I see the, you know, if if the subscription base was five or 10,000, I, I, I think you could, I could understand the argument, is it worth the trouble to do that? But, you know, right now there's over 82,000 subscribers, including some new ones, people who are finding out. I mean, that's obviously a lot of people who enjoy it and are willing to pay for it. And I guess I just don't, to, to me, if it's going to cost more to get rid of the thing than it is to keep it, it's, and 82,000 people want it, I'd say, well, why not keep it? Well, and I agree with you, Jeff. It's not just 82,000 people, but it's the 82,000 or 85,000 people that pass it on to their cousins or brothers and other people. And it gets very broad distribution, and it has always been considered just a a wonderful Right. product that comes out of the state of Wisconsin. We always get criticized for so many things, and this has never been criticized, really, and to drop it, is, is this is the wrong time to do that, in my opinion. No, thanks to call, Ron. Now, again, I, I, I mean, some people are saying, well, this is part of the governor's anti-science agenda. I, I, don't, I don't buy that, and if you want to if you want to steer away from, for example, climate change, global warming type of issues, well, you, you can do that through the exercise of editorial control. You know, so if that's it, if you don't want to get into the climate change debate or if, you know, that that's you, you can do that by saying, okay, we're not going to run a, a climate change issue. But, you know, I, I guess people want this, is, is my sense. Carol in Beaver Dam. Carol, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Hi, Carol. I absolutely love this magazine. I have had the subscription for probably... I don't know. It's been over 10 years, and I always get it for someone who has left Wisconsin. Right. I have a friend who's in Kentucky. 
I got it for him as he left, and he loved it. My brother-in-law in Iowa, three years. Right. I I got it for the sole purpose of I'm a loon fanatic. Okay. Lo- I love the articles on the loons. You're loony about loons, huh? I'm loony about loons. Okay. So, to me... It's a neat magazine, and I look forward to it. And like I said, I don't even think my subscription runs out for another four years. Right. So you pay, I mean, you, you willingly, you, you pay, I think it's eight ninety five a year. You willingly pay that. Maybe get a discount if you extend it for a number of years. But it, to me, to you, to you, it's money well spent. Absolutely. There are such neat articles for fishermen, for anybody who loves the outdoors. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Let's talk to Jeff in Waukesha. Yeah. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. <laughs> Jeff, it's on Friday. Jeff, okay, I'm sorry. I don't, don't know who Jeff was talking to. But, uh, yeah, the point he was going to make is he didn't think that they'd have to reimburse people. Um, no, they. I mean, the, the Fiscal Bureau says that um, about $370,000 would have to be reimbursed to about 85,000 subscribers. And that yeah, that, that makes sense to me because... Well, I mean, like our last caller, Carol. Carol, let's say she's got a five-year subscription. You cease publication of this. You're going to have to – the state just can't keep that money. People have paid for it, so you're going to have to keep that dough back. Um, Now, there is taxpayer money that's budgeted to produce this, but the point is when I say it's revenue neutral, the money they generate from subscriptions – covers the cost so it's not like you're out anything i i don't believe this is part of an anti-science agenda i think it was just the desire to say okay do we really do we really need to do this and should we be concentrating on other things but the truth is i do think it kind of helps the mission and i didn't take this position in the beginning but the more i hear from people who like this magazine Given the fact that it's going to cost us more to do away with it than continue to produce it, and given the fact that it doesn't cost the taxpayers money to produce it, if 80-some thousand people want it, I say let them have it. It is 1026, coming up in just a couple minutes. If the mafia did it, they would be indicted. Why is it that a local quasi-racist organization can get away with it? We'll discuss. It's 1026. It's 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. How important is it to you that concealed carry holders go through training before obtaining their permit? This is up for debate in Madison right now. Scafidi and Bilstead take your calls at 1235 this afternoon. Actually, what is up for debate is a proposal that I think is just an incredibly stupid idea to do away with the permitting requirement in general, to essentially say anybody legally allowed to own a firearm would be legally allowed to carry it in a concealed fashion. As somebody who fought for years for the whole concealed right to carry concealed weapons in Wisconsin, to me it is ludicrous to take away that permitting requirement. I think it's more than reasonable to say if you want to carry a concealed firearm, you should at least have to have some minimal form of training and get yourself a permit so there's some regulation over this. So before you go out in public carrying a gun stuck in your waistband, you understand the ramifications of using that gun. I don't think a four-hour training course is unreasonable at all. And from the perspective of, for example, law enforcement, 
Uh, it, it's already, I mean, very difficult. How do, how do law enforcement address these situations if now you know anybody can carry a concealed firearm anytime they want? I understand that there's some of the gun rights groups that are pushing this. This would be incredibly bad public policy. Eleven state senators, all Republicans, have signed on to this. My advice to them is run Run away from this particular issue. It's bad public policy. And that comes from somebody who fought for years for the right to concealed carry. Scafidi and Bill Stett will talk about that at 1235. The, well, a mafia-like ring appears to be operating in Milwaukee's city. We're going to discuss that in just a couple minutes. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's game through the Brewers and Mets from City Field, New York. Catch Bob and Jeff with the pregame show beginning at 535 tonight, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. All right, here's how the, um, here's how the mafia would, would, would work. Um, the mafia would run what they would call would be protection rings. And the, the idea would be you'd have, you'd have the gangsters that would go into the the local business and they'd say well here's what we're here to do we're we're going to guarantee that bad things aren't going to happen to your place you don't you don't need the police don't worry we're we're going to guarantee that bad things aren't going to happen to your your place um all you have to do is is give us money pay us protection and and we'll make sure that nothing bad happens to you and the implication is that if you don't pay that money, well, then maybe bad things are going to happen to you. And maybe it's going to be the mafia itself that does it, or maybe it's going to be other thugs. But you, you pay for protection. It is, the term in the law, is extortion. And there's lots and lots of mafia hoodlums that have gone to prison over the last several decades for extorting money in protection schemes from businesses. Which brings me to the story of what is going on in the city of Milwaukee. And there was a fascinating press conference yesterday. There's there's a little like convenience store slash grocery store um, called Stark Foods. It's located on 13th and Atkinson, not in a particularly good neighborhood apologize to people who live in that neighborhood, but not a particularly good neighborhood. But it, it's a business. Um, what happened a while back is that there's apparently some homeless guy who comes into the place on a regular basis and panhandles and disrupts stuff and creates issues. So there was an incident not that long ago where the um, it was actually um, May 18th. So this has been going on for um, for a while. Um, the guy had been coming in. The, the store said you, you can't come in anymore, and there was an altercation between a clerk and between the homeless guy who allegedly had a knife. And the two of them got into a struggle when the clerk said you got to leave, and the guy didn't want to leave, and they, they got into a struggle, and he was like ejected. The store has subsequently gotten a restraining order against the homeless guy who keeps coming you know, back in because, again, he, he loiters around in there. They said he had a knife at one point in time. I don't know if that's true or not, but the store said get out. He refused to get out. There was a struggle. They now have a restraining order against him, which brings us to this group 
calling itself the Milwaukee Black Panthers, not associated with the National Black Panther movement. And the Milwaukee Black Panthers, they have been causing trouble in this community for a while. They're the group that they walk around in the combat fatigues, trying to look tough and things like that. They have apparently, now, they've decided that they want to side with the homeless guy who was tossed out of the store, and that's fine. And they have been calling for a boycott of the store. Okay, that that's fine, I guess. Hey, you want to call for a boycott, that's fine. But it goes farther. And according to the owners of, of this store, and apparently some other people in the community, what this, this group has been doing um, has been essentially what I think you could argue would be extortion. It's not just, hey, we're, we're going to boycott this place. Um, they claim that they have been patrolling the neighborhood. This is the Black Panthers patrolling the neighborhood for the last few months. And in exchange for keeping the neighborhood safe, he says that uh, stores have been giving them food or money or liquor. Um, the workers at the store say it's extortion and that they've gotten upset when our workers have refused to gift, um, quote-unquote, gift these Milwaukee Black Panthers with food or money or booze. Um, the Black Panther leader, guy who calls himself King Rick, says... We come into the store on numerous occasions on our patrols to help you out, to make sure your store is safe and secure. Every store offers us something to drink, water, juices, that kind of things. Patrols on Atkinson Avenue keep it clean and safe. You know, we've been doing that for the past five or six months. Um, one of the customers at the Stark Food says, I don't know why we need to have the Black Panthers do anything for gardening us. Um, last week, Stark Foods got a restraining order against the leader of the Black Panthers of Milwaukee, saying that they come in groups of 10 to 15 people and begin to grab anything they like, threaten to close down the business, and ask for money. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the story of the Milwaukee Black Panthers is, hey, we are servants of the community. We are patrolling the streets to help keep the streets safe. We go into the stores, and the store owners, well, out of the goodness of their heart, they give us whatever we want. Guy at Stark Foods and apparently some other community leaders thinking, hey, this is not what's going on here. You have these roving groups of activists we'll use that for one word, who storm into the store, 10 or 15 people, demand what they want, and then get upset if they don't get it. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. It seems to me that this behavior, rather than being a philanthropic enterprise associated with trying to make the community better, is really nothing more, if it's true, what the owners of this food store and others are saying, is really nothing more than a protection ring. And my question is, you know, isn't it time for authorities to shut this down? If it was the mafia that was doing this, it would not be tolerated. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My God, it has got to be tough enough to run a grocery store in some of these high-crime areas of the city of Milwaukee without having bands of self-proclaimed 
community activists dressed in fatigue storming into the store and essentially thinking they could take whatever they want. 414-799-1620. And my question is, where are the authorities on this? Again, if, if it was the mob doing it, I guarantee you that people would be in jail. Joe and Racine. Joe, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, how you doing? Good. What do you think? Um, I'm wondering why they're not getting charged with theft. I, right, or- theft, extortion, you know, whatever. I mean, we, we, have, we have a police force that is responsible for dealing with criminal activity that occurs at these stores. Now, I understand that store owners from time to time will hire private security people, but this, this isn't private security people. These are community activists, that might be one term, they're yeah. thugs, that might be another term, who decide that you know we're going to rule the streets, and if you don't do what we want, we're going to cause problems for you. I mean, they found a cause because they found, um, I believe it's pretty sure it's a black homeless gentleman. Um, so they're now looking for a handout, trying to say that they're doing something good for the community. Well, right. I mean, right. Thanks for call. I mean, look. If, if a business, look. If a business owner decides that they want to hire a private security force, or that they want to, okay, in, invite community activists groups in to help secure their place. I mean, okay, you, you pay them, you do whatever. That doesn't sound like, at least from the statements of these owners, that doesn't sound what this what's happening here. And if you see at least one of the videotapes of the self-proclaimed leader of the Milwaukee Black Panthers threatening one of the clerks at this store, you get an idea why a judge issued a restraining order against him, preventing him from going back into the community. 414-799-1620. I mean, this is if this is in fact going on, it is absolutely outrageous, and the authorities need to look at this. And and if they're hesitating because, oh gee, you know, we we don't want to get on the wrong side of of you know any of these groups, this is this is what the gangs do. All right, this is what the gangs do. You know, you want to operate business, you want to do business here. We want to. You've got to give us something. You've got to pay us tribute. Kathy in West Dallas. Kathy, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, this doesn't entirely surprise me because I remember when I lived on the north side um, back in the 60s, 70s, this was something that happened. Uh, my mother was on the front lawn and a man approached her in a suit and tie, had a briefcase, and he wanted to talk to her about uh, starting up uh, funds for what he called, he termed a gang, who would patrol the neighborhood and watch out for the businesses, see that there there aren't um, uh, robberies and such, and, and just uh, kind of uh, keep the neighborhood safe. And, you know, she did not inquire as to who's accountable for this, how you're starting and who's in charge, but she basically said, I can't afford anything extra for, for something like that, you know. And, uh, you know, we had po- police patrols on foot and, and that at the time, but um, we yeah. didn't, I don't think we had gang uh, task forces or anything at the time, but you know, it's it's a lawless kind of reaction to 
a troubled neighborhood. We'll, well, well, we'll, right, and it, it makes it even the more difficult for the store owners to operate. Now, thanks. I mean, this is the way, uh, I think it's the Channel 4 story. Channel 6 had this, too. But here's what the owner said. He says this, they keep coming back asking for more and more. It's not a right. They take advantage of all these local businesses because they walk in with 15 people and threaten to shut us down if we don't comply with what they want. Everybody is scared about their business. Um, he says the real reason this group is mad is because he refuses to give them quote-unquote donations for their work in the community. We give them a lot of money and food. We think it's important to help the community, but it's come to the point where we don't think we're giving this organization is actually going to the community. They're using it. I stopped when they came in and asked for liquor. I'm not giving anybody liquor. 414-799-1620. Keith in Milwaukee. Keith, good morning. Yeah, we, we always say bad things about the black man. I'm a black man. I lived in that area. I still go in that area not. Each and every one of these Middle Easterners who come here, and they come in our community, and what they do is they tell us how we could, how they uh, 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 treat us in our community. And we as black people, we are going crazy because we still give these businesses our business. You know, we have to stop going to these stores. These guys here, they are against the law. Anybody say about them selling individual cigarettes or using food stamps well, well, wait, aren't these business you said our community I mean aren't these businesses you know, part of the community too I mean isn't it you know, everybody's they community spend, they spend none of their money into the black community they don't spend they take it and they go home with it they'll go to Walmart and buy a 12 pack of sodas for 250 and they'll come back and sell them sodas for a dollar piece. Well, can, uh, no, 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 listen. Oh, no, no, my question is, so, okay, so that gives the these the, this uh, band of you know, activist thugs, whatever we, whatever you know, word you want to use, that gives them the right to go in and say, give us, give us stuff or else we're going to shut you down? The government okays what they do, and what they're doing is, is against the law. What are the stores doing that's against the law? Uh, 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 it's against the law to sell individual cigarettes. Okay, well, I'm... Against, no, 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 it's against the law to sell food. And they'll get called on it, and the next thing you know, they're back to doing the same thing. Well, okay, here, here, look, here, here's the bottom line, Keith. If... if, if Somebody, I'm not going to endorse food stamp fraud. And if you've got individual businesses operating anywhere in the city of Milwaukee that are engaging in food stamp fraud or whatever, shut them down. Prosecute them, shut them down. I don't have that issue, but but that's we're talking about apples and oranges. The, these this this group, this Milwaukee Black Panthers, based on what I've been seeing, in my opinion, they're, they're not out about for community betterment. This is we're gonna we're gonna storm into the store run by these quote unquote Middle Easterners. Your term, not mine. They're gonna run in these Middle Easterners, and we're gonna see. You know, we're gonna run our protection racket. We're gonna check up on them. We're gonna demand these things from them. And if we don't get them. Well, okay, then then stuff is going to happen. Then we're going to try to boycott them. We're going to try to shut them them down. Um, really? Let's talk to Katie in Burlington. Katie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to address the previous caller and, and understanding his frustration and legitimizing what he says in terms of seeing owners, store owners, go to Walmart and buy cases of soda and sell it at an inflated price. The question is, what do you do if all those businesses leave? If you want local ownership and local money spent within that community, 
then why aren't local people owning those stores? And maybe there's some reason for that that, that he feels is, is unfair. But what if all those businesses leave? Yep. There's going to come a point where the insurance costs and the, the financial costs and the emotional intimidation become so much that you go into these neighborhoods and there is no local store. There is no local 5 and 10. There is yep. no local grocery store. Because who would want to run a business in a, in a, in a neighborhood where that is the attitude towards your race, your ethnicity, your background, and your business practices? Who yeah. would want to? Absolutely. Who's, Katie, you make, you make an outstanding point. Who, who's going to in, invest that, that money? We talk about food deserts. We talk about, hey, we need more businesses. We need more places, jobs. And, and then, okay, Sherman Park, you had that BP gas station. I drove by that the other day. You know, it's, it's burned down. All right. Okay, yeah, you, you get your way. You go out. You try to extort stuff. And that's, at least if you believe the owner of the store, that's precisely what is going on. You try to extort stuff. My question is, where are the cops? I mean, seriously, I mean, I, I understand the store is getting restraining orders against uh, the, this self-proclaimed King Rick. But, I mean, if this is what is going on on the streets of the city of Milwaukee, you wonder how they are allowed to do it. And is it because we are politically correct and we don't want to take it on because this claims to be a black uh, you know, op, you know, activist group? Well, okay, fine. Work for the betterment of the community, but 15 people in fatigue storming into a store and helping themselves to food and liquor or whatever, that's not the betterment of the community. It's 1051. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in just a couple minutes, tornado sirens. And then later on, tolling in Wisconsin, toll roads. So that's going to be subject of the 11 o'clock hour. Um, I'm still back with the one caller, Keith, who was saying, "I, you know, we got these Middle Easterners coming into our community, and you know that that's they're they're taking advantage of our community." Well, I mean, isn't it seriously everybody's community? And if 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 neighborhoods are going to survive as our caller katie was making the point you need to have investment you need to have investment that helps create jobs and you need in some of those jobs and and if you're going to have you know people who want to live in certain areas there has to be access to food and the gas stations and to things like that and if the idea is if a business operates and it's it's run by those middle easterners well then then we're we're within our rights to do whatever we want. If we want to extort money from them or whatever, that's that's what we need to do. All right, that's look. That is not the recipe for success. Maybe that's the attitude that some people have, but it's certainly not the recipe for you know success here. And I I guess this is to me it's an interesting story. And my question is, where are the mayor? Where is the police chief? Where is David Clark? I mean, seriously, this is an issue. You would think. Um, while it's in the city of, of Milwaukee, primarily jurisdiction of the police department, if it's true that you have roving bands of thugs posing as community activists who are extorting, the words of the business owner, not me, goods and things of value from the owners of these various stores, well, it would seem to me that something should be done from a law enforcement perspective, calling on the mayor, calling on the district attorney, calling on the police chief. Where are you? It's 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Times change and people adapt. One of the things that I think is so 
bizarre to me. We're, we're spending $120 million, we being if you live in the city of Milwaukee, you're spending $120 million to put in the, these, this trolley system, trolleys that were essentially, you know, might have worked in 1910, might have worked in 1918, but, you know, 2018? Really? I mean, but this this is the, the wave of the future. You're going back to technology that existed 100 years ago. It makes no sense to me. If you think about the way we communicated, um, 25 years ago, and I understand I'm sounding like this old guy, but, I mean, it used to be, I mean, I remember when you first, when mobile phones first came out, and, the, you know, you, you had you had car phones, and you plugged them in to the cigarette lighter, and, you, and there were these big things in boxes. Watch the great movie Wall Street um, with, Michael, with um, Michael Douglas, and, you know, there's a scene where he, he plays this multi-millionaire, you know, financier, and he's walking down the beach, and he's got this big old honking thing in his hand. That's, that's what cell phones used to be, and, and there used to be pay phones, and when you would travel, you, you'd, have, you'd have pay phones, and you'd have to call in, and then you'd have, you know, beepers. And so you'd be wearing the beepers and things like that. And that's all that's all changed now. You know, we have cell phones. We have different technologies. As we've talked about on this program a, a lot, the way we get information changes. It used to be that you'd have a morning newspaper that was delivered to your house, hopefully before like 6 a.m. You'd have an afternoon newspaper. Nowadays, that's not. People don't get most of their information from the newspapers, the hard copies. They get it from the Internet. They, we've got this 24-7 sort of environment, and, and that's that's how we all live in. And that's how we get our information, and we communicate through our cell phones and things like that. Which brings me to a very interesting story involving tornado sirens. Um, historically in this state, um, now tornadoes, a very, very big deal. Um, in this state, the tornado sirens really go back um, to, to the 1940s at the start of the Cold War. And a lot of these sirens were put in place actually not for weather warnings, but for nuclear attack warnings. I mean, that, that's kind of the history of a lot of this stuff. Um, but, but once the fear of nuclear attack you know, diminished, a lot of the cities began using them for severe weather. Now, Channel 4 had a really, really interesting story looking at this. Many of these sirens in communities all across the state um, haven't been replaced in 40 years. I mean, so this has been this technique. They've been there since the 40s, and in some cases, 20 to 40 years. I mean, these sirens haven't been replaced. And the, the truth is, anything ends up breaking down. And repairing the, this aging technology costs a ton of money to do. Um, plus, there are, there are limitations on, you know, tornado sirens um you can only hear the sirens within a certain area the wind changes where the sirens reaches um they can be hard to hear inside you can't hear them when you're sleeping um the sirens let you know something is happening but they can't tell you what or or where the danger is i mean this was the technology you know in the 40s and 50s and 60s to sound these things well nowadays that that's not where most people get their information. You know, you have weather apps on your mobile phones. Everybody has this. And you can sign up to have all these different notifications. So you've got these communities which are now wrestling with what do you do 
when it comes time to replace or repair these aging tornado sirens. Antigo, Wisconsin, has, according to Channel 4, become the first town in the state that's decided that they're, they're not using sirens anymore. Instead, Antigo and the surrounding county has started using a website called Everbridge. What you can do if you live in the area is you can sign up for weather alerts that go to your phones and go to social media. Also, all landline phones are automatically enrolled. Um, Plus, what they say we'll do is if there's anybody that doesn't have a cell phone, you know, anybody that doesn't have a landline, what we'll also do is we'll give you a, a free weather radio. We'll give you a weather radio. And so, you know, everybody in the county now has access to this stuff if if they want it. Um, more cities and towns are considering I- exactly this. And the Channel 4 story, you know, talks about how in Port Washington they're debating eliminating, you know, the, the sirens. Um, to replace one siren costs 22000 Dollars um, to replace more than that, um, at least probably you're talking about fifty thousand dollars or more. Some people say it's worth it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's have a conversation uh, about this. Obviously, early warning is important, but the question becomes one of a cost benefit. Um, if it's going to cost a community. Tens of thousands of dollars to replace an aging siren that people may or not may not be able to hear, that people may or may not understand what the warning is. Does it make more sense to take that money and invest into 21st century technology like, hey, you know, we're going to set up these websites. We're going to make arrangements for emergency alerts. We're going to notify you automatically on the, the landlines. And if you're one of the handful of people that don't have the cell phones, we'll, we'll give you the weather radio. Does what Anigo is doing make sense moving forward? Or do we need to keep putting money into these aging tornado siren systems, the 1940s technology? I'll tell you where I come down, and we will discuss coming up next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Would it be a huge loss? Would we be putting public safety at risk if we did away with tornado sirens in favor of other more modern ways of notifying people what's going on? All right, we'll discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1115. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Game 3 of the Brewers and Mets from City Field in New York. Catch Bob and Jeff with pregame show. our pregame show. It begins at 535 tonight, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Antigo has become the first community, apparently in the state, to make a decision that they are not going to replace their aging tornado sirens. Um, many in the state go back you know, 20, 40 years. Um, what they're saying is we think that there's more efficient ways to communicate this information with people. The tornado sirens, people don't understand them. People can't hear them. So what we have is we have this website. Um, you can sign up for weather alerts that automatically go to your phones and social media. All landline phones are automatically um, enrolled. And if you don't qualify for any of this stuff and you need a weather radio, we'll give it to you. Okay, is this the wave of the future? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike in Bayview. Mike, good morning. 
Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, should we be doing away with tornado sirens when when they when they expire? You know, when they when they outlive their usefulness. No, I don't think so because um, I'll tell you why. Because when we had when our kids were younger, you know, we always they always used to take off on their bikes, you know, and stuff like this. And I says, you guys ever hear the siren? You know, you guys ever hear that siren going off? You know, and they knew what it sounded like. You guys ever hear that? That means you guys get your butt home right away. Mm-hmm. You know. It's the same thing like with the street lights, you know, you know, you're like, well, how are we going to know if this street light, you know, how to come home? Well, the, when I was a kid, they used to be, you know, lights on as in, in plain yeah. English. Well, you know? n- but, well, nowadays, though, I mean, don't most of the kids have, have cell phones and things like that that they're, that they're carrying around? Yeah, but, you know, I don't think that they would, that they would catch that. I, I really don't think they would catch it you know, on their cell phones. I think they'd hear a siren going off before they'd hear that. Yeah, well, know? it's impossible. it's actually ringing in their pocket. Yeah. Uh, no, okay. Thanks for call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I'm not arguing that the tornado sirens don't have a value, although, again, we we you have this new technology that's out there that is is clearly a much better way of communicating. You know, when there there is a situation, you get the weather alert, there is a tornado, this is the path of the tornado, you know, get get inside. Um, and, and obviously, if your cell phone goes off, now Mike was suggesting he doesn't think people would pay attention to that or, or it wouldn't be as effective. I, I don't know. I mean, if your cell phone goes off and it says, tornado in your county, this is the path, I wonder if that would make people more responsive than a tornado siren that they may or may not hear. And the question becomes, it's, it's, it's not a question of spending the money. It's a question of how is the money better spent? You know, is it better spent? Let's say you've got to replace four sirens, all right, because they're, they're 40 years old, they're aging. It's going to cost you 100 grand. The question is, is it better to take that 100 grand and to spend it on, again, putting up new sirens, or is it better to spend that hundred grand on? Hey, how can we notify people? Are there better ways that we can do it? Distributing the weather radios, doing these types of things—that to me is is the issue. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, if I live in Milwaukee County, I know those sirens go off from time to time. If I'm if I'm asleep at night with the windows shut and the air conditioning on, I don't hear them. I mean, I. I don't hear them. I would be much more likely to hear, you know, a, an alert going off on my cell phone that is next to, you know, the bed. Or um, I understand lots of people are off of the landlines now, but if you still have a landline that's active, if there's a tornado in the area, the phone ringing with a recorded message, I think is much more likely to be effective. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Andy in Pewaukee. Andy, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. As one who uh had in the past repaired a lot of these uh, sirens and so forth. I can tell you they're nothing but a high-maintenance, high-expense thing, and uh, it's time to send them down the road because there's so many other technologies available now that people pay attention to. Every time these sirens go off, everybody's uh, calling 911, clogging up the lines, wondering what's going on, and yada, yada, yada. So Right. So you, I mean, so you actually work with these things? Uh, yes, I used to. I'm retired from it now, but uh, I've 
fixed a few in my day. Uh, yeah. Well, and it, it just, I mean, it just seems to me, I mean, the, the, the reality is if, if a lot of these things are 20 or 40 years old um, and haven't been touched, you know, the, the, they're, they're, they're going to hit their useful lifespan. They're going to start needing to be replaced. And so, I mean, I, get, I just think it's an important conversation to have. Is there a better way of notifying people in case of an emergency? There certainly is. I don't know. Everybody's on their cell phones and so forth, and the kids too. Everybody's got a cell phone. Yeah. And uh, even like reverse nine one one notification of landlines and that. Uh, yeah. You've got all that technology, and uh, it's, it would be a lot more effective. And right, right. Yeah, well, I guess that. I mean, seeing that that. I understand when when you go down this route, and there's, there's probably a lot of you, you. You might be listening, and you're shaking your head, saying, "Oh, he's irresponsible. He wants people to die in tornadoes." No, I, I don't. I'm just, I, I'm 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 thinking that sometimes we don't do stuff because we are just so hesitant to recognize the modern technology, and then pretty soon. You know, the, the technology just takes over. Everybody's got the cell phones. Now, Greg and Walker show says, I get so many notifications on my cell phone um, that I don't know if I would even pay attention to that for a tornado warning. Well, okay, I mean, I guess I'm wondering how many people really, like, hear that siren and then and then end up taking action or, or know what the siren means. Zach on the south side. Zach, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, how's it going? Good. What do you think? Um, see, I personally work in the cell phone industry myself, technical support, and mm-hmm. you wouldn't believe the number of calls I get a day when a cell phone makes a weird noise and they call <laughs> in and don't know what it is. Right. You know, whether it's Facebook, Snapchat, or whatever. So if there's, if we can narrow it down to one specific thing, you know, I can see that happening. Because I agree, it's it's outdated technology. But my other concern is cell phones die. Right. Don't answer their phone. I, if my mom calls, I don't answer my phone all the time. So. Right. I think that'd be my concern is not having a backup plan yeah. if that were to happen. Yeah, and I guess I mean, and I guess my response, and I, I I appreciate. I think that's a valid concern. Like what they do in Antigo for people who still have landlines, they automatically mm-hmm. make a call. They give out the weather radios. I guess I wonder from, and I appreciate that cell phones die and stuff, but at the same time. I, like I was saying, I don't know about you, but when, if I'm in the house and the air conditioning is running or something like that, I'm not going to hear a tornado. I'm not going to hear that siren anyways. Uh, I'm just not, especially if the wind is blowing in one way. I just wonder whether or not, if you if we accept the fact that not everybody is going to get the message all the time, what's the best way of reaching out to people to communicate with this? Right, right, yeah. absolutely. No, and I guess that's, I mean, then that's, I think some of us, are just kind of stuck on the idea of, well, you can't do away with the tornado sirens because we've always, always had them. Well, all right, I appreciate that, but if, again, use my example. If it's going to cost Port Washington $100,000 to replace four tornado sirens, is there something else you could do with that $100,000 that would do a better job moving forward of notifying everybody in Port Washington or everybody in Ozaki County or whatever uh, when, you know, there's one of these severe weather situations coming on. And I think sometimes the knee-jerk reaction is, no, we've got to have the sirens. And you can, I mean, I get it. I mean, I appreciate our first caller was saying, hey, you know, when, when you know, my kids used to, you know, be out on bikes riding around and, you know, we told them if they heard the sirens, they just automatically come home. And I'm sure that's the case and I'm sure that's true. But, you know, are, are there other ways that we could communicate that information um, in a more efficient and perhaps more effective 
way of doing this. It's 1126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, and I think we at least have to be open to that. It's 1129, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, our text line exploding. Okay, um, hey Jeff, what if we lose cell phone service during a storm? Well, I, I, I understand, but I guess my response would be, well, you've got a big thunderstorm going on, you can't hear the sirens anyways, or big storm going on. All right, maybe you're listening to your weather. You you got the weather radio on, or you've got the battery powered radio on. I mean, I understand it's you, you can always come up with these contingents, um, contingent things, but at the same time, we have you know the technology. Steve writes, I automatically receive Amber Alerts slash child abduction on my smartphone. I didn't install an app; it just comes through with a very distinctive sound. Jeff and Wotosa text, I purpose, purposely put on my noisy bathroom fan so the noisy birdies don't wake me up at five a.m. There's no way I would hear the sirens if they went off. Um, yeah, I guess it's just. Um, it, it's just that. Uh, let's see. I had WTMJ on for weather on the way home from work. I heard the siren before I heard your weather warning on the radio. Well, yeah, I I, I get that, and, and I understand that there's sort of some usefulness. But, again, you hear the siren, for example, and it doesn't. It tells you that there's something going on. It doesn't necessarily tell you where precisely it is. The, the, the weather warning or the weather notification would. And I'm not arguing that I'm not arguing that the sirens don't serve a purpose. I, I'm not. I'm just concerned or questioning whether or not you continue to put tens of thousands of dollars into technology that was developed in the 1940s, or whether it makes more sense to figure out a way to take that money and build a better mousetrap. If our our stated goal for all of us is to make sure. We let people know, you know, when there is really severe weather and when they need to take cover. It's a, it's eleven thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. We we have this this talk and text line, and it, I, I admit it, it 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 makes me. It, it makes me laugh, the things that some people text. Like, the, these are two texts that came in just uh, within within 30 seconds of each other. All right? So we, we just talked about, I don't know, tornado sirens. And now, maybe, maybe you know, you find that to be not that interesting a topic. But, I mean, I think it's a safety thing. It's an expense thing. I think it's something, to me, it's, it's interesting and certainly, you know, worth, you know, one or two segments on the radio. So, let's see. Here's the, here's the first one that came in. Boring. Talk politics. Watergate on steroids. Everyone denies involvement. Talk politics. All right, Watergate on steroids. Well, okay, first of all, you can get that anywhere, but that's okay. We do talk politics from time to time, but if I had to spend three and a half hours doing that every day, I, I just, I'd go nuts. You'd go nuts. We'd all go nuts. So, boring. Don't oh, talk. You're, he's talking about, he's talking about, going to talk about toll roads, and he's going to be talking about, like, tornado sirens. Boring. Talk politics. And then... 15 seconds literally after the text line. Jeff, want to thank you for your excellent work every day. It's just like it's okay. You know, it's like you just, you can't please everybody all the time. And there's some people out there, and you know who you are, who you just can't please at all. But um, that's, I just thought there was this kind of interesting juxtaposition. Okay. Uh, the state transportation budget is a mess, and it's created a rift between the governor and between some members of the legislature. The governor is essentially saying, I did not get sent to Madison 
to raise taxes. So tax increases are off the table. What the governor is saying is, I, I'm going to find more money. And matter of fact, they, they just announced that they found an extra $93 million. So, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have, you know, $93 million more that we're going to be putting into the roads. But that's not enough money to pay for all the expenses that are out there, all the, the uh, road costs. So what the governor says is, hey, I want to borrow. And that's that's just it. Not the best option necessarily, but the truth of the matter is borrowing isn't always bad. You know, you prob- most people, maybe you're different, but most people wouldn't be able to buy a house if they didn't borrow. I mean, that's, you know, who can go and say, okay, the house is $150,000. I'm just going to reach into my pocket and borrow. I mean, you borrow money to do it. So borrowing isn't necessarily a bad option. It just, again, depends. How much are you borrowing? What's the interest rate? What's the payback? So the governor is saying, look, I, I didn't get sent to, to raise taxes. You have some members of the legislature um, who I think are being motivated in part by some big supporters of theirs who are in like the construction industry who, who want the state to keep spending and spending and spending on roads. And so they're pushing for like the tax increases. And there's all sorts of proposals that are out there. You know, the gas tax used to automatically go up every year. Well, we did away with indexing, so the gas tax has been frozen. So there's some people who want to increase the gas tax. There's other people who want to decrease the gas tax by a couple cents, but then add on a sales tax. You know, the state has a 5% sales tax. It doesn't apply to gas. So um, there's some people saying, hey, we, we can just we can apply the sales tax to that, um, including some Republicans. To me, that's a complete and total non-starter because, you know, you put a 5% tax on gas and, all right, it, maybe it's one thing when gas is 237 a gallon. Gas goes back up to 350 a gallon. That's really going to hit people. Putting the sales tax on top of a gas tax, even if you reduce the gas tax by a couple cents, it is a complete non-starter. So that's where the battle is. One of the ideas that's also out there is the idea of of toll roads, toll roads. Um, so the governor yesterday says, "Look, I, I found more money to put into the roads, so I'm, I'm willing to do that." But but at the same time. I'm not in favor of any sort of gas tax increase at all, so that that's not going to happen. But if this is not going to happen under my watch, which should be a message to the Republicans in the state legislature. But he does say, "Hey, I'm open to the concept of, I'm open to the concept of toll roads, if there is a corresponding decrease in the state's." Um, gasoline tax. The gasoline tax right now is about 31 cents a gallon, 30.9 cents actually. He said, hey, if you're going to, you know, if, if you want to look at an alternative source of funding, if you think it's fairer to, you know, put it on, I, I don't know, the, the toll roads, I'm open, as long as it's kind of a revenue neutral thing, I'm open to, to looking at, at toll roads. Now, um, to put in toll roads, first of all, you need federal waivers of that, and, and maybe you could get it, maybe you couldn't. And it would obviously take a couple years to implement. So this isn't something that's going to happen today or tomorrow, and it doesn't solve, even if you went with toll roads, it wouldn't solve the immediate problem that we have over the last, over the, you know, the next year or two. But, but big picture, this hour, we're, we're looking forward. First half hour, we talked about, you know, our tornado sirens. Is that the way to go moving forward? Now, I mean, Moving forward, and it's not going to happen today, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but are, are toll roads something that we should explore? You can make an argument 
that it's fairer in some respects because it's, it's a user fee that captures the people who are actually using the roads that need to be repaired. It captures the people who are driving the electric cars and things like that that aren't paying much of a gasoline tax. All right, but at the same time, I, I know... I don't know about you, but whenever I get into Illinois and I hit those toll roads, I just hate it. All right, should we explore toll roads if, as the governor says, there'd be a corresponding decrease in the gas tax? Are we ready for that in Wisconsin? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss. Um, that's coming up next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1142, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 11.45. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. WTMJ lets you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is the Main Mill in Menominee Falls. How about that for alliteration? Featuring homemade barbecue, tasty steaks, and a variety of signature dishes, you can enjoy them all on the Main Mill's elevated deck dining experience. This Friday at noon, right after the program ends, you can get a $50 certificate for only 25 bucks. It's like stealing. These go quickly. We only have 100 available. Get yours this Friday starting at noon by heading to WTMJSupperClub.com. Okay, yesterday, the governor wasn't endorsing toll roads. He, he said, they were talking about the transportation budget, and he said, well, I guess I would be open to something like this if it was matched by a corresponding decrease in, in the gas tax. I think toll roads are a non-starter for a variety of reasons I think we're going to get into. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It, it First of all, it takes it would take years to to, imp- to get toll roads going. So it doesn't solve any sort of immediate problems. And big picture, I think there's bigger problems. I think if we're going to figure out a transportation funding solution, toll roads aren't the answer. Dick in Heartland. Dick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. I got an idea for the toll roads. Um, they could have a special thing that the Wisconsin residents would put on their plate, and they, they wouldn't pay for it, just people from out of state. Just like they do in Illinois, if you notice, some cars just go right through. Right. Because they got the, the thing. Well, or those, would, or those would be free to Wisconsin residents. You can just take their lane and go through. That way, the other people from the other states will be paying the taxes, not us. Yeah, it's, well, right, except that, I mean, just so you understand, first of all, you can't do that because there's this thing called the Commerce Clause um, that says that you can't, um, you, you can't charge... You, you can't just make Illinois residents. For example, you couldn't just make out-of-state people pay. You, I'm, I am. I guess if somebody's a lawyer and wants to challenge that, I, I, but I'm, I am 99% confident that you couldn't just charge out-of-state people. Now, the, the folks in Illinois, what you're looking at is you're looking at they have, oh, gosh, what do they call that? Fast pass, I-pass. Is that what they call it? You know, the, the I-pass. And what they do is if you're a regular, I mean, you can get an I-pass. Matter of fact, um, you know, my best friend who used to travel, now he lives in Milwaukee, now he lives in Milwaukee, but he used to travel back and forth when he was living in Pennsylvania. He had one of those passes as well. So you could automatically go through it. What you do is you, you pay in a, you pay in advance or, or however you work. I've never had one, but you, you do pay for it. It's just, it, right, it's like a debit card, Hondo says. It's like a debit card. Yeah, that, that's, that's how it works. But the folks in Illinois are still paying for that. And I am, I am positive that you wouldn't be able to set up set up a situation where it's just the out of state people who end up paying. So it would be everybody that would end up paying. Danny in Milwaukee. Danny, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hey Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, toll roads. Would this work? I absolutely hate the idea. Uh, I've been scared of that since I was twelve. 
um, mostly because I'm a poor musician as it is. <laughs> and, okay, so I live in this, pretty much in the, on the line of the city of Milwaukee and West Dallas. Right. Everywhere I go to play, it's about 20 minutes, half an hour away. Perfect. Don't have to worry about it. Right. The only, the only time it's a real hassle is when I have to play down on the south side of Chicago. I go down there, and we're talking 16 to $20 just in toll. Right. Now, being underpaid as a musician is bad enough, but then they have to deal with 20 bucks on top of the gas right. and everything else that we have to pay for. Yeah, we're through to the well, well, right, it, it, and you'd be. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, now, now, part of the thing is that if you were a resident, you would perhaps, I say perhaps, try to figure out ways to get around the toll roads. Okay, so let's say you're, let's say you're gonna, you're going to make the Market Interchange. You're gonna make. 94 westbound you're to make that a, a, a toll road well there's a lot of people who might try to figure out alternative ways around it now good luck once they start tearing up the streets but you know th- there'd be people that would be working around it so you'd, you'd capture more out-of-state people you know theoretically but yeah there, there's a lot of locals that would get caught up in this as well which is why the governor says I, i'd want this to be a, a revenue neutral thing the idea being the money you generate from the toll road you'd offset by the fact that when you fill up your car with gasoline maybe it's Instead of a thirty cent per gallon tax, you're paying a twenty five cent gallon tax. I, I guess I look at it and say, if it's revenue neutral, it, it's not going to get anywhere. And by the way, I don't, I don't read these stories as the governor endorsing toll roads. I read these stories as saying that the governor is no tax increase, and if you can show that you can generate as much money through the toll roads as you can with. Uh, by and also correspondingly decrease the gas tax. You know he's willing to look at it. I just don't see it as a long-term solution. You know, moving forward, uh, even if you could end up getting the federal waivers. What what I think? Well, first of all, I think we we have to look at the road projects around the state, and, and I understand how important it is to have quality roads. I get that. I don't understand. I think there's still a lot of waste that goes on. I, I mean, I, I look at some of these projects that get done, and then it seems like three years later they're tearing up the thing to redo them because they weren't done right. I think that there's a lot of fat in the bidding process. Um, I, I think there's a lot of money that could be saved. See, I'm not convinced that there's not a lot of waste. And before I go along with any sort of tax increase, you're going to have to convince me that you really have, that we are doing things in the most efficient way possible. I'm also not against borrowing. I, I just, I don't think that that's necessarily the a bad way to go. Um, you have to always have priorities. And like I said earlier, if for everybody says, oh, you, you can't borrow. Well, okay, then, then not many of us would be able to own houses if there wasn't at least, you know, some borrowing that went on. So you have to be able to figure, you know, all that type of stuff out. Toll roads, it's to me it's pie in the sky i mean maybe it's something you look at and say okay 10 or 15 years from now is something like this going to make sense but long term i don't think it's a solution to the transportation problems that we have maybe the governor's putting this on the table as a way to again get get some of the republicans in the legislature you know moving forward but i don't think you're going to see toll roads around here any time soon and the good news is i mean they found almost another hundred million dollars in general revenue that they can put towards you know doing the road construction projects that they have and i understand that in some respects that's a drop in the bucket but i haven't gotten to the point where 
I don't think $100 million is a lot of dough. $100 million is a lot of money. That lets you finish at least a couple of the projects.